you know, as people, our origins, they go right back, don't they, to the first Adam. And as we know from uh, the Genesis account, that Adam was created in the image of God. He was created to have fellowship with God. And he was created to reflect God's glory. Adam's relationship with God at that time was absolutely perfect. It was wonderful. But of course we know that that changed when Adam sinned against God. Because no longer did he reflect God's glory. Consequences of that was Adam's disobedience was that God could no longer allow him to be in his presence. And there's a dilemma for God. Because God loved this man with a passion. But he couldn't let Adam's sin go unpunished. And we know from the Genesis account what happened. Adam and Eve were cast from God's presence. And he put them out of the Garden of Eden. So no longer were they God's people in God's place enjoying God's blessing. And Adam's act of rebellion, of course, has had a a spin to us because it's separated all humanity from God. No longer do we enjoy that intimate relationship that Adam and Eve had when they were in God's presence because we, like them, have been cut off from God. But just as God loved Adam, so God loves us. And even though we're guilty of sin... He's taken the initiative to restore that broken relationship. Well, how did he do that? Well, it meant God coming in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue us from the consequences of our sinfulness and to restore that relationship that he wants to have with us. And in verse 1 of our reading today, it says, Jesus says, I am. I am. Well, back in the Old Testament, when Moses asked God who he should say sent him to the captives, back in Egypt, he said, tell them I am sent you. Jesus' claim that he's God has divided men and women for centuries. But of course, scripture backs up exactly who Jesus is. It backs it up by what he did, by what he says. And of course, on several occasions other than this, Jesus has said, I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. And Jesus says here, I am the true vine. So I've got three things this morning that I pray will help us as we look, and I think they're going to be up on the screen. First off, Israel, was it God's perfect vine? Secondly, we're going to look at Jesus being the true vine. And then, of course, an application for us. God the gardener, he's the one who lovingly tends the branches. In other words, us of the true vine. So first today, Israel. Was it God's perfect vine? Back in the 19th century, many of the vineyards in France were almost wiped out. They were wiped out by an aphid called Grape Phylloxera. And I guess if you owned a vineyard in and around Sussex, you'd keep an eye on your vines. Because, you see, these vines became infected, and they were so infected, they were useless. Because they didn't produce fruit. And if you're a vine grower, then you want to produce fruit, don't you? And then two horticulturalists came along, and they discovered that if they grafted European vines into a much more resilient American rootstock, then 
it was wonderful because they could grow healthy vines that weren't susceptible to this particular virus. And of course they produced a great crop. So all of the vines that we have today were originally grafted from probably that one rootstock. And Jesus says here, I'm the true vine. Well, of course, as believers, we're grafted into him. That's what that means. And as such, Jesus says in verse 4, he says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Then you'll bear fruit that shows that you belong to me. And of course it's important, as I said to the youngsters, that we do remain in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we live in a world like ours, that's so opposed to God, that we need to stick together. In fact, John 16, a little bit further on, Jesus reminds all those who follow him, he says, you're going to face trouble in this world. You will face trouble. But we can take heart, because our Lord Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And if we remain in him, we too can overcome the world and we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. So I wonder why then has Jesus used an illustration of a vine to teach us a truth here that he wants us to understand. Could be many reasons. There could be absolutely loads of reasons. But you know, just a matter of hours or so before Jesus said this, he'd shared a Passover meal with the disciples. He'd shared with them the bread and the wine. Of course, giving us a pattern for us to celebrate and remember Jesus' death today. And at that meal, John writes very clearly of something that happened. Because they were at that meal and Satan entered into Judas. And of course, we know that Judas went off and betrayed Jesus. Judas' decision to betray Jesus meant he cut himself off. He cut himself off from Christ. He cut himself off from the rest of the disciples. He was now no longer somebody who could bear fruit. Verse 2, Jesus says, God cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. But equally, Jesus' words may have had a historic truth to them. Because this is what we read in Psalm 80. The psalmist says, you brought a vine out of Egypt... You drove out the nations and you planted it. Well, of course, he's talking about Israel's origins. God's talking here about his nation. And maybe, just maybe, this is the truth that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand. Because he wanted to prepare them for what was about to happen when God's chosen people, the Jews, the Jewish nation, would reject Jesus, the second Adam, the perfect true vine. And of course, in rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting God the Father. Psalm 80, God planted his nation Israel. They were a nation that should have loved and trusted God. But that's not what we see. And elsewhere in the Old Testament, Jeremiah says this. He says, God planted Israel like a choice vine of sound, reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt, wild vine? That's what they come. That's what the nation was. And of course, when people turn away from God, when they leave him out of their lives, they become corrupted by the world around them. So instead of being people who reflect God's love, who display his amazing grace and mercy, they become an absolute pale image of what God is truly like. And we see that, don't we, in the world? People have a bizarre idea of what God is and who God is. 
And of course the Old Testament teaches us that this is exactly what happened to God's nation Israel. They turned their backs on God, even though he never stopped showing his love and care for them. Right throughout their history, time and time again, we see them failing to keep God's commands. I was reading this morning in uh, Kings how you get this pattern, one good king, one not so good, one good king, one not so good. And so it goes on. And each one has left God out of their lives. Israel became a people who fell far short of displaying to anyone that they were God's people, living in God's place, living under his blessing. Well, just as Adam didn't match up and ended up sinning against God, so Israel didn't match up either. They were just like those European vines. They were corrupt. They weren't able to produce good fruit. They didn't show that they belonged to God. Well, you know, this isn't just a question that God asked of Israel at that time. It's a question I believe God's asking today of his church. In other words, you and I. Because like Israel, who failed to live in in obedience to God, when we as Christ's chosen church don't remain in him, then we run the danger of our lives becoming corrupted by the world around us. A world that's in total rebellion to God. Jesus says this, remain in me. That's what he says. And if we don't remain in him, then like Israel, we're going to stop loving and worshipping as we should. And that wonderful, intimate relationship that God wants to have with us in Jesus will break down. It'll break down because we've stopped trusting in the promises that he makes to us through his word. It'll break down because we make choices not to live in obedience to his word. And so we become more and more influenced and corrupted by what the world says, rather than what God's saying to us through his word. There's lots of illustrations I could give you this morning, and I think you know what they are. The biggest, of course, at the moment is same-sex marriage. What's the church saying on that? It's embracing it. And you know, from my stance working at the city mission and seeing how things work, history often reveals that the knock-on to a spiritual decline is often a moral and a social decline. That's what's happening today, isn't it? We can see the evidence of that all around us. And it's because when we stop loving God, it pretty much follows that we'll stop, cease loving one another. What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God. And Jesus said, and love your neighbour. So when we stop loving God, when we stop putting God first, doing the things he wants us to do, then it's going to follow like a pack of cards coming down that we're going to stop loving one another. And we can see that all around us today, can't we? Israel belonged to God. They were his people. A people who should have reflected his image to those around them. But instead, their sinful, willful hearts meant they were corrupt. They no longer reflected God's love. Well, as people who've been brought by the blood of Jesus, we've been grafted into him. For you and I, our lives should bear fruit that reflect that we belong to him. So that's our second heading today, because we belong to Jesus, the true perfect vine. You see, what we see in Jesus should have been the pattern for Adam. It should have been the pattern for Israel. And it should be our pattern today. Because what do we see when we look at Jesus? We see complete obedience to the Father's will. We see absolute trust in God, even though it led to the cross. 
we see perfect fellowship and union with the Father. And what does Paul remind us of in Ephesians? He says this, we should be imitators of Christ. You and I, we're to be the same. We're to show all of those qualities. Why? Because we're his dearly beloved children. We belong to Christ. We're children who by God's grace have been grafted into him. We've not just been grafted into anybody, but into the one we're told in verse 1 is almighty God, the I am. That's who we've been grafted into today. God in human likeness, the true vine, the perfect obedient son. Well, of course, we know from our illustration of the vines that all vines since the mid-19th century have been grafted into one clean, undiseased rootstock. And of course, we've been grafted into Jesus, the true perfect vine, totally without sin, pure and holy, the perfect reflection of God. And having been grafted into him, he's the one we should be drawing all our spiritual goodness and nourishment from, so that each day we can grow stronger, we can become more and more like him. That great psalm that David wrote, Psalm 1, it's a lovely psalm. I do, do urge you to go home and read it at the end of the service. But he says there that you know, when we meditate on God's word, we'll be like trees that are planted by streams of water. Well, if you were a tree, where would you want to be planted? You wouldn't want to be in an arid desert, would you? You'd want to be by a stream sucking up all the goodness. And of course, for you and I as Christians, we can suck up all that nourishment, all that goodness of the Lord through his word, through his word, the Bible. And we can grow to become more and more like Jesus. Verse 4, Jesus says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See, we can only be fruitful as Christians when we belong to Jesus then no matter what the world throws at us, our lives will reflect his love. Well, I'm not going to stand here and say that being a Christian is easy, because it's not. We live in a hostile world, hostile world to Christians. And it's important that we remain in him and that we face the devil's schemes in Jesus' strength and not our own. And we need to just keep on focusing and remembering in our lives just what Jesus has done for us. And we need to give thanks that he's cleansed us. No more are our lives stained by sin. Jesus said to the disciples in verse 3, You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Well, if you're a Christian here today, and I pray you are, then by having heard and received God's word, then Jesus' blood has made you clean. He's made you right with God. You're no longer a sinner under God's judgment And we're facing his anger. But you're a sinner. We're sinners, not you, me as well. We're sinners who've been saved by God's grace. Paul says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. So as people, we belong to Christ. We've been grafted into the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our lives now need to reflect what Jesus has done for us. And should show that we're pleasing God. That our lives are a real pleasure to God. That we're bearing fruit that draws others to know Jesus. And that shows that we belong to Christ. Verse 8 says this. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, let the world around you see that you belong to Christ. And as his people, we need to be ready and willing to serve God wherever he chooses to take us, to whatever the challenges might be. And Jesus knows full well that we can't do these things in our own strength without his help. Last part of verse 5, we see there that if, you know, if we don't stay in Christ, then we're going to be in trouble, aren't we? So apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, of course, that brings me to our final point today, that God the gardener, he lovingly tends the branches of the true vine. Well, you don't need to tell me to tell you if you're a gardener that plants are living things. They need to be looked after. They need to be tended. But sometimes it's quite necessary to be harsh. And when I watch some of the gardening programs, these guys have got these great big knives and they're cutting back roots and goodness knows what else. They cut off the branches and stems that are unproductive. And for you and I as Christians, branches that threaten the well-being of a plant could cause the whole plant to suffer, can't they? And a good gardener knows when he needs to act. And of course, God is that good gardener. Verse 2 says this, God is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears fruit. While every branch that, sorry, let me read that again. He cuts off every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. See, skilled gardeners know what bits of a plant or a tree need to be cut off to protect them from disease, to make them stronger, to make them healthier. And they know what to prune so that their plants become even more fruitful. And Jesus, of course, tells us there that God is the good gardener who cuts off what isn't fruitful, who prunes what is already fruitful, making it even more productive. Well, those that God cuts off are those who on the surface might seem as though they belong to him. But what God sees are lives that are hard, that are proud. Lives that have never really accepted the true sinful state of their hearts. They've never invited Jesus to come and take his rightful place in their lives. And what's the knock-on for that? They've never received God's forgiveness. They've never received forgiveness. They've never become born again. Because that's what Jesus tells us we need to be, is born again. See, Jesus pulls no punches here. He never does in scripture. It can be quite painful at times when we read these things. If anyone, verse, verse 6 says, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Just as Judas was. If you don't remain in the Lord, thrown away, got rid of, destined for destruction. But of course that needn't be so if we truly turn our lives to Christ, if we accept him into our hearts, because God's promise is that by his grace he will make us clean. Then like many, many other Christians around this world, we'll become grafted into Jesus, the true perfect vine. We'll become people who please God. Well, of course as Christians we can't sit here being smug and say, oh I've been a Christian for years, that's okay. We haven't arrived yet because we're still a work in progress. And we need to let God be at work in us. We need to let his 
God acts with his pruning knife on us, trimming off all those side shoots that threaten our spiritual health, that threaten our spiritual growth. Back in chapter 14, Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us there that the fruit of the Spirit at work in us will be characterized by what we see in Jesus. Because we'll be people who, like Jesus, demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and then the hardest one, self-control. And if we display those things outside, not just in the church, but outside, then what's the knock-on? People are going to be attracted to us. They're going to want to see, wow, there's something different about you. I need to know more about what that is. And of course, course the proof of God at work in us will be our desire to spend quality time each day with him. We want to spend time in his word. We want to spend time meeting together like this in prayer, reading the word, understanding more about the word. Praying that God will build his church on earth. Because as we see in verse 8, that's what pleases God. It shows to the world that we belong to him, that we're his disciples. Well, just to summarise then this morning, the man Adam, he should have reflected God's glory, but he didn't. Neither did God's nation Israel. But as men and women, saved by God's grace, we've been grafted into the true vine. And that true vine is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's nobody else. Because Jesus is the personification of what God calls you and I to be like as his people. And for us to be like Jesus, well, there's only one thing we need to do. And that's remain in him. And he in us.